All right, this morning, I'm going to ask you to turn to Joshua chapter number three. Take your Bibles and turn to Joshua chapter number three. One of the things that uh, we hope here at Monclova Road Baptist Church is that you, as a Christian, that you live the life that God intended for you to live. So many times we get, we get battled down, and we've seen the last couple of weeks that has been an amazing thing to see in our culture, this battle over life. And it seems that the science of life is on the opposite side of those who say that it is not a child in the womb, that is just a mass of flesh. Science is showing us that that baby is known by God, perfectly formed from the first moments of inception. Yesterday, we got to hold uh, Chelsea and Taylor Manus's brand new, fresh baby. You know how they are when they're fresh? Like they just smell good. Uh, got to hold that baby. And it's amazing looking at that little baby that was less than about 26 hours old, I guess, uh, looking at that little baby and the life that was in it. And that baby's eyes are ginormous, wide open, taken in everything that's going on around him. And that young man, that baby, it's amazing that we as a culture are trying to discuss whether that baby should live or whether that baby should die. Life. I should have had you do some exercises this morning because our fingers are going to do some walking. And so I want you to look at a couple of verses before we get to Joshua chapter number 3. I want you to turn to John chapter number 10. John chapter number 10 and verse number 10. It says, The thief cometh not but to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. Jesus did not come simply, hold your, hold your place there in John chapter 10. We're going to come back there, so don't go anywhere. Jesus did not just simply come to give us life. He came to give us abundant life. Abundant life. What is abundant life? Abundant life does not mean abundance of wealth. Abundant life does not mean abundance of things. Abundant life does not mean abundance of kids, though it could mean some of those things. Abundant life is life that is just full. You ever had those days where you've gone through the day and at the end of it, you rest your head on your pillow and you say, this was a good day. This was a good day. Going and seeing Taylor and Chelsea yesterday, seeing brand new parents, holding that baby in the hospital, they were saying, this was a good day. My life is full. And God said that he wants us to have a full life, not just live. We've had those days on the opposite end where we've gone through the day and we thought, man, I don't know what I have done today. I am exhausted. I'm worn out. Nothing is done off the checklist, but Somehow I made it through the day. I don't know what I did. That is just life. And God says, I don't want you to have life. I want you to have life, but I want you to have abundant life. And I want you to be that type of person that people enjoy being around. You ever have that kind of friend? 
When I went to college, I remember meeting up the first day with a young man by the name of Kelvin. I was skinny when I went to college. You think I'm skinny now? I was 40 pounds lighter when I went to college. And I met a friend who was about the same height, but he was about 250 pounds. And so it was like Laurel and Hardy in college. (laughs) And the thing that drew me to Kelvin was Kelvin was full of life. I don't care where we were or what we were doing. We were having fun. We were laughing. We were enjoying life. And I enjoyed being around Calvin because life was full. And God wants us to be as Christians. He wants us to be that kind of Christian that people, whether they're saved or unsaved, they look at you and go, you know what? I want to be around that guy. I don't know what it is he has. I don't know what it is that he's on. I don't know what he's doing. But whatever it is, I enjoy being around that guy. And as they're around us, they get to see that the joy of the Lord is what keeps us going. I don't want to be that sourpuss Christian. What's wrong with you? I've got to serve God. (laughs) Really? Man, serving God is the greatest thing in all of the world. And if we would just understand that God has not called us just to live, God has called us to live abundantly. That will help us. But not just abundantly. If you look at your Bibles in John chapter number 8, turn over just another chapter or two. John chapter 8 in verse number 36. He says, If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. You know it's like to be in bondage? I'm not going to ask you this morning how many of you have credit cards. I'm not going to ask you this morning how many of you have a mortgage. I'm not going to ask you how many of you have student loans that you're still paying off 40 years later. You know what bondage is? You are so tied down financially that you can't do the things that you want to do. Do you know spiritually we can be in bondage? God has come to set us free, but we still live in bondage. Not bondage that's going to send us to hell. If you are a follower of Christ, if you have believed Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have put your faith and trust in Him, you are no longer on your way to hell. You are on your way to heaven. But we still live in that bondage that keeps us from living free. And Jesus said, I have come to set you free. How many of you would like to be free today? You want to wipe out my mortgage? Just let me know. I will tell you what it is. You want to pave my car off? That would be awesome. I will be free. You want to pay my, my, student, my children's college bill? Glory to God. Hallelujah. I'll shout, run around, praise the Lord. You're not going to do that. But Jesus today can set you free spiritually. If you have never trusted him as your savior, today you can be as free as you've ever been when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If you are a follower of Christ, but you are in bondage today and you think, man, if I could just do this, I could be free to follow Jesus Christ. If I could just do this, I could do what God has called me to do. Today we can do that. 
And so today I want you to look in Joshua chapter number three, and we're going to use the children of Israel today, and we're going to see that we do not have to wander around in the wilderness, always hoping, always wishing we could get into the promised land. The children of Israel had become comfortable in the wilderness. But God never intended for the children of Israel to stay in the wilderness. In our lives, we are called to do something for God. God has a calling upon your life that only you can fulfill. When he wrote your DNA, when you were in your mother's womb, he put in you a desire to follow him, a desire to be used for him in whatever capacity he has called you. If you are working in the factory, if you are working in the fields, if you are working in the church, if you are working in an office building, I don't care where it is, God has put on your DNA a desire to follow Him completely. And this morning, if you are retired and you say, I did that, I want to challenge you this morning. Those of you who have served God for a long time, now is not the time for you to hang up your coat and say, I did that. Now is the time for you to re-enlist. I was looking for uh, illustrations this week, and I came across uh, uh, Colonel Sanders. You realize that Colonel Sanders was 65 when he sold his first store? 65. He wasn't done yet. So those of you in whatever stage of life you're in, God is not done with you and he has a calling upon your life that you must fulfill and we cannot get settled in the wilderness. But what happens in the wilderness, and I may get ahead of myself today because I'm just so wrapped up in this, in the wilderness what happens is that we get used to seeing the hand of God. I mean, think about this for a minute. The children of Israel were walking through the wilderness, and as they walked, their shoes never wore out. Not one time did they have to get new shoes. Husbands, wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> hey, baby, I need new shoes. No, you don't. They still fit. Fine. They're not the right color. It doesn't matter. They still fit. Do you know that their clothes never wore out? Now, that might be a little boring to have the same outfit you had when you were three and when you were 43. Still wearing the same clothes, huh? Yeah, I just wish they'd wear out sometime. They didn't. These children of Israel, as they walked through the desert, their shoes never wore out and their clothing never wore out. As they walked through the wilderness, they never had to wonder where their next meal was coming from. They got up every morning, they went outside, they picked up the food for the day because God had dropped it on the ground right in front of their tent. Every morning they saw God work. When they were thirsty, the Bible says that there was a flint rock that followed them through the desert and poured out water for them. They never had to worry about a drink of water. The children of Israel in the wilderness, they became very comfortable seeing the miracles of God on a daily basis, but God never intended for them to get comfortable in the wilderness. But this morning, let me ask you, have you gotten comfortable in the wilderness 
and you are afraid to step out and step into the promised land that God has for you. It is that thing that when you think about, that thing that when somebody says to you, what would you do if money or resources were not a problem, what would you do? And you begin spewing. I would start this store. I would create this thing. I would take this job. I would go overseas. I would do all these things. It is that thing that you say, man, I just, I, I can't take that step. Yes, you can. This morning, you can take that step. This morning, you could release your children to take that step. Do you know how hard it is? Some of you have done this to release your child to go a thousand miles away to college. It is difficult. I don't know what she's doing. I don't know who she's with. I don't know what her friends are, but I know that God's calling on her life was something that I'm saying, no, I think God may be calling you to stay here and, and go to Owens and live at home. Now, if God calls you to do that, praise the Lord. But the calling on my daughter's life was to leave, and I'm saying, stay, and she's saying, I gotta go, and I'm saying, stay, and God's saying, Dad, let her go. And I have to let her step into the promised land of her life. Is it uncertain? Absolutely. Do I know what's going to happen? No, I don't. But I know a God who has called her. I know a God who has equipped her. I know a God who is greater than, than anybody that I know that is going to enable her to live out her promised land life. And in Scripture, the wilderness is a saved life. Egypt is an unsaved life. And God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt and they wandered in the wilderness, which is a Christian's life that is not yet willing to step into the calling of God on their life. And we step into the promised land, which is not heaven. The promised land, there are still battles, there are still problems, but the promised land is where you see God work where you see God do things. But the problem is in our lives that we have gotten so accustomed to the wilderness and our children have grown up seeing God work in the wilderness that we're afraid to let them go and we're afraid to take them into the promised land where God is calling us and God is calling them. My challenge this morning to you is, are you willing to look at this scripture this morning and say, God, if you want me to step into the promised land, the calling for my life, I am willing to do that today. I am willing to step out. It is scary, absolutely. Is it nervous? Yes. Do I know how I'm going to pay for it? No, I don't. But I know God will provide a way. Just as he provided a way across the Red Sea, we're going to look at the Jordan River this morning and see how God provided a way. So look in Joshua chapter number three. Joshua chapter number three. In Joshua chapter one, verse number two, God told Joshua, he said, get up. Moses, my servant is dead. Now get up and cross Jordan. Now is the time to do it. Now is the time. Here in America, we have a window of opportunity. That window of opportunity is now. And it is time for us as followers of Christ to rise up 
and follow Jesus Christ. Whatever he calls us to do, now is the time to do it. And I want you to see a couple of things in Joshua chapter number 3. We're to start reading in verse number 1, and we'll stop a few points here at a couple of verses and point out a couple of things that hopefully will challenge you this morning. And Joshua rose early in the morning, and they removed from Shittim and came to Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. And it came to pass after three days that the officers went through the host and they commanded the people saying, when ye see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites bearing it, then ye shall remove from your place and go after it. The first thing I want you to see this morning is moving from the wilderness to the promised land is full of transition. How many of you like change? I'm not talking about pocket change. I'm talking about change in routine. I don't even like it when McDonald's changes the menu. You may have remembered that they put, it used to be that the, that the quarter pounder of cheese was number one. I remember driving through McDonald's after they made that change. And I'll say, I'll take a number one, please. And then I looked at the menu and it was not the quarter pounder of cheese. I said, what are you people doing? I do not like change. But if you are going to move from the wilderness into your promised land, you have to understand that transitions come. The children of Israel think about this for 40 years. What led them through the wilderness? A pillar of cloud. Can you imagine for 40 years following the pillar of cloud, wherever it went, you just followed the cloud? Fire by night, cloud by day, wherever it went, you just follow it. And all of a sudden, you get up one morning and the cloud is gone. God, where'd you go? No longer do I want you to follow this cloud that you all can see. Now I want you to follow this box that's four foot by just a little over two foot. And I want you to follow that. How do two million people see a box that's four foot by two foot? You got to look really hard. And when God moves, it isn't always through this cloud that you see. Sometimes you have to look really hard and say, God, is that you? God, are you moving? And if you're moving, the Bible says that they had to follow it. And when God moves in our life, we have to follow it. In verse number four, it says, Yet... There shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Come not near unto it, that ye may know the way by which ye must go. This verse is the key to this chapter. For ye have not passed this way heretofore. God has to take you outside of your comfort zone. God, I want you to use me. I want you to have your will in my life. And God, I will do whatever you want me to do as long as it's within my comfort zone. As long as you don't call me to do anything too big. God, I am willing to do whatever as long as it's easy. As long as it's convenient. But God says, no, I want you to follow me and it's always going to be inconvenient. And it's always going to be stressful. They followed the cloud for the, through the wilderness and they had no problems. But all of a sudden, God changes and God says, I want you to follow the ark. And where does the ark lead these people? 
directly to the Jordan River. God, I thought you said this was going to be easy. I thought this was the way you wanted us to go, and you led us to some place we can't cross. Now, if you remember when Pastor came back from Israel, he showed a picture of the Jordan River, and the Jordan River wasn't that wide. And if the Jordan River had have been like that, the people easily could have said, oh, this is no problem, God. You want us to cross the Jordan? This is easy. But if you look at verse number, uh, number 15, it says, And they that bear the ark came to the Jordan, and the feet of the priests that bear the ark dipped in the brim of the water, for Jordan overfloweth his banks all that time of the harvest. At this time, the Jordan River was over a mile wide. Can you imagine God saying to you, I want you to go this way, and he takes you to a river that is a mile wide, and God says, now go across. What? God is going to take you to a place that is going to challenge you when he calls you to step out into the territory, the land that God is calling you. It isn't going to be easy. So many times we think that following God is going to be easy. It's going to be God, what God wants me to do. And so I'm going to step out and God's going to open the waters and part the way, just like he did for Moses. But God doesn't always do that. Sometimes when God calls us, he calls us to step out into an impossible situation where we cannot trust in ourselves. We have to trust in God. So God is going to call you to a place that you have not been. And when you've not been there, you have to rely on him a whole lot more. The other night we went to, uh, last night we went to the hospital and we parked at the at one end of Toledo Hospital. And when we got in, we realized, as always happens, that we should have parked at the other end of the hospital. And so we began walking from the parking garage all the way through the entire hospital. And we got down there, and my wife says to me, if I had to get out of here, I wouldn't be able to find my way. And I'm like, that's right, baby, you stay close. I'll show you the way. And God does the exact same thing with us. If it was easy God calls us and says, here, here's a simple step I want you to take. All right, God, I got this. But God says, this is impossible. God, how am I going to do it? He says, just stay close to me. Stay close to me. And when we stay close to God, he shows us the way when there is no way. In verse number five, and Joshua said unto the people, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. God gives us opportunity to get things right. Aren't you glad that God doesn't say, oh, you messed up, done with you? Forty years they wandered, 40 years God waited, and finally God says tomorrow, take tonight, get it right, sanctify yourself, because tomorrow you're going to be amazed at what I can do. Tomorrow... In your life, maybe God is going to do something amazing in your life. Take time today to sanctify yourself, to get things right, to allow God the opportunity to do amazing things. Verse number six, And Joshua spake unto the priests, saying, Take up the ark of the covenant 
and passed over before the people. And they took up the Ark of the Covenant, and they went before the people. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day will I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. And this verse, that, that phrase, as I was with Moses, so will I be with thee, I think is a key thought for the Christian life. God did not say, as I did for Moses, I will do for you. God says, as I was with Moses, I will be with you. What did Moses do when they came to the Red Sea? He took that stick that he had used for so many things and he held it up and the waters parted. I think Joshua was more human than what we thought. I think Joshua walked by the Jordan River and just kind of stuck the stick out when nobody was looking to see if maybe there was a little parting of the water to see if anything happened when he stuck the stick out. Nothing. Let me go down a little further. Nothing. Man. We say, God, if you will do for me what you did for them, then I would follow you like they're following you. But God does not say he will do for us what he did for them. God said he will be for us what he was for them. And it does not matter what God does for us. He will be there for us through every situation, through every problem that we have, through every good thing, through every bad thing. God is there. And we cannot step out into what he has for us if we say, God, if you would only do that for me, then I will follow you. God says, no, I have to be enough. Not what I do, but who I am. And when we make God enough for us, we don't have to have God do anything because he is already everything that we need. This morning, if you are waiting for God to do something for you so you step out, let me tell you, God has already done it. It was done on the cross. He paid the penalty for our sin, and that is enough. And he is waiting for you to step out, and you say, God, if you will do, he said, no, but I will be. I will be with you as I was with Moses, as I was with Joshua, as I was with Elijah, as I was with Elisha, as I was with Daniel, as I was with the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as I was with Peter, as I was with Paul, as I was with Timothy, as I was with Samuel. I will be with you. And when we understand that when God is for us, who can be against us, we can step out and do what God has called us to do. In verse number 8, And thou shalt command the priest of the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When ye are come to the brink of the water of Jordan, ye shall stand still in the Jordan. Ye shall stand still in the Jordan. This river is now a mile wide. This river is rushing and God said, this is how you will know that the living God is with you. He put himself first. He said, I will go before you. Think about this. The Ark of the Covenant. Do you remember when somebody saw the Ark of the Covenant on the cart and it began to shift and he reached out to touch the Ark of the Covenant? Instantly he was dead. 
The Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant thinking that that's the power of God. They took it and all of a sudden they got boils and they had illness and disease throughout their land. And God says, no, it's not that thing, but that thing has power. That thing represents me. When it was in the temple, God's power rested on the Ark of the Covenant. God says, I will go before you into these problems. And when we realize that God is going before us into the problems, we can follow him into any situation that comes. Jump down to verse number 14. And it came to pass when the people removed from their tents to pass over Jordan and the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people and they and as they bear the Ark were come to the Jordan and the feet of the priests that bear the Ark were dipped into the brim of the water for Jordan overfloweth all his banks all the time of the harvest that the waters which came down from above stood and rose up upon a heap very far from the city of Adam that is beside Zaratan and those that came down toward the Sea of the Plain, even the Salt Sea, failed and were cut off. In verse number 8, God said, I want you to step into the raging river. <clears throat> Nothing happened. When they stepped in that river 30 miles north, God stopped the water. That's like stepping into a river here in Monclova and the water stopping in Dundee, Michigan. How long would it take for us to know that that water stopped? An hour? Two hours? Twelve hours? I don't know, but as soon as the priest stepped in, God stopped the water 30 miles away. We do not understand when we take an action, a step for God, that it begins a chain reaction that we have no idea what's going on. We don't see behind the scenes, but God is working. He is asking us to step out in faith. We step out in faith and the water is still there. God, I thought you told me to do this. I did wait. How many of you enjoy waiting? Nobody. So why does God make us wait? Because he wants to know if we're relying on him and his strength. And if we're willing to step out in faith. God asks us to take a step when we don't see what is going on. 30 miles away, the water stopped. I always pictured that the water, there was a wall of water that the people walked by and saw the fish swimming. It was dry land for 30 miles north and all the way to the Dead Sea. God was doing a work that they couldn't see. And this morning, my friend, if God has called you to do something and you are fearful of stepping out because you don't know what's going to happen, let me tell you, God is working in areas and ways that you do not see. And all you have to do is if God calls, you take a step into that water and trust that he is working. Because the result... In verse number 17, 
It says, And the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all the Israelites passed over on dry ground until all the people were passed clean over Jordan. What happens when Israel goes over? Nobody stood back and said, You know what? I'm just going to enjoy the desert. There was nobody that was too old that they didn't cross the Jordan. There was nobody too young that they didn't cross the Jordan. There was nobody too sick that didn't cross the Jordan. Every one of them crossed over into the promise that God had for them. This morning, I don't care how old you are. I don't care how healthy you are, how sick you are. I don't care what your status in life is. God has a promise for you. And if you will cross that Jordan, you will see God work. But let me give you one warning. Look at verse number 16. And the waters which stood jumped down to the end toward the sea of the plain. Even the salt sea failed and were cut off. And the people passed over right against Jericho. God called them to cross over into the promised land that he had for them. Great victory happened when the Jordan River parted and they stepped across. But what was right in front of them? Another battle. Just because you are following God and you are stepping into what he has called you to step into does not mean that there will not be another battle once you get through this obstacle that God has put in front of you. Once you've gotten through this challenge, there is going to be another challenge. But the faith that they earned by waiting for the Jordan, by stepping into the Jordan, by God parting the Jordan, the faith that they got allowed them to say, God, I don't know how you're going to do it, but we trust that you can. And you know that the walls of Jericho came down without them doing a thing. Walk around the city, walk around the city, walk around the city, yell at the wall. Good plan, Joshua. And the walls came down. My friend, this morning, our desire here is that God does something great in your life. There is a man by the name of William Borden. He was born in 1887. William Borden was in a very wealthy family, and at the age of 16, he graduated high school. At 16, his parents took a gap year between college and high school and college, and they sent him around the world with a tutor that was going to teach him as they traveled the world. At 16, he went to Asia and Europe and saw all these great cities, and he went to Africa and into Egypt, and he, he just traveled the world, and he learned. And as he traveled, he wrote back to his parents, I believe that God is preparing me for the foreign mission field. He wrote to a friend, and his friend told him, don't waste your life on that. His dad said, son, don't make a foolish decision like that until you're 21. And William Borden wrote in his Bible, no reserves. You see, God had put a plan and a desire in his heart that no man could shut down. 
And William Borden said, I have no reserves. God is calling me to the mission field. William Borden, he obeyed his father, and he wasn't going to make a decision until he was 21, but he knew that God was working in his heart, and he went off to Yale for college. And in college, he began working, and he realized that his spiritual condition was such that he could lead young men and young ladies into following Christ, and he began a prayer meeting. And by the time William Borden was a senior, he had 1,000 young men at a prayer meeting every morning praying for foreign missions. There were only 1,300 people in the entire college. 1,000 of them were gathering every week praying for God to do something great. William Borden saw a need And so he started an organization uh, uh, called Yale Hope Mission. One year, Yale Hope Mission fed 14,000 homeless people that lived on the streets near Yale. His heart was burning for missions. When he graduated, his dad offered him a job and he turned it down. Other men offered him jobs of, of high paying prestige positions. He turned them all down and he wrote in his Bible, no retreat. He then left in 1912. He graduated from college and he went to Egypt and he told his parents, I'm joining the China Inland Mission and I'm going to reach the Muslim people in China but I'm going to stop and I'm going to learn Arabic in Egypt. William Borden, in 1912, December of 1912, went to Egypt. And in April of 1913, he contracted spinal meningitis and passed away. He was in Egypt for three months. He never made it to the mission field. But they got his Bible and they saw these three phrases in his Bible no reserves, no retreat. And just before he passed away, in his Bible, he wrote, no regrets. As a result of his death, he paid millions of dollars to organizations like China Inland Mission, who still works today, churches and and, uh, orphanages and homeless shelters. And he gave his life And at the end of it, he said, I have no regrets. This morning, are you in the wilderness? In your life? It doesn't mean that it's a barren place. You could see God working in your life. Maybe you're seeing miracles happen, but you're in a place that you know, God wants me to take a step. God called me. I should be a Sunday school teacher. I should... Take this step for God. I should work in that ministry. I should be a part of that thing. I should lead. But if God would do for me what he did for them, I would follow him. Let me challenge you this morning. Are you willing to step out of your desert to step into your promised land? Maybe this morning you are facing that Jordan. You've decided to take that step. And you've said, I'm going to follow what God wants me to do, but it just seems like I'm hitting battle after battle after battle after battle. Let me tell you, that is okay. Because God is with you. 
in those battles. How are you going to cross the Jordan? I don't know, but God will provide a way. He may be working down the upstream and you don't even see what's happening, but God will provide a way if you will just step out in faith.